Okay, so today I'm in Newmarket with ex-jockey and author Ian Watkinson. Thanks very much for being to talk to me today, Ian. More than welcome. Um, so that, just a quick summary. So you, you won eight times on Two Mile Chase at Tingle Creek, uh, three wins from three wides, rides on Sea Pigeon, and won five times on Night Nurse. And that's just a small summary of your career. Yes, that, that I was just so honoured to, to ride those three horses. Uh, it was terrific, terrific. Looking back on it, I don't know how it happened, but at the time, it was, they were just horses, good horses. And for anyone that doesn't know about you, you've, um, you, you've recently had published the Going Up Was Worth Coming Down, Worth the Coming Down, your book there. I just want to hold, hold that up and show us. That's still, avail still available. And it's uh, fair to say that you don't really mince your words in it. It's sort of a warts and all account of uh, quite a, a, a well-lived life as a jockey. I'm glad you think that. Um, I had to, to be a bit careful with one or two of the stories because I, I do have a very strict daughter and I've got two granddaughters that one they'll be able to read. So uh, there we go. But no, it's, uh, I was very pleased to do the book. Looking back on it, it was... Brought back some lot, lot of memories. And anyone that's read it will suddenly think, Blimey, I wonder what the stories that you left out were like. <laughs> um, oh, yes, they, they weren't. They were good at the time, but just uh, mainly, yes, they, they, were good, they were good at the time, but uh, I, wouldn't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to see everything in print. No. Because so, of my girls. Yeah, of course. Um, so what we're going to do, I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of the stuff because I've read the book, so I'm going to get some of the stories from oh, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you rode your first winner <coughs> on Charles Cotton in 1966 and your last on pla Plastic Cup at Plumpton in 1979. And three days later, your career ended at Towster with a near-fatal fall on Regal Choice. Yes. And in between, you had a lot of fun. <coughs> yes, yes, it was, it was bad. I say bad, like it's one of those things that... Um, that I rode Regal Choice because a few days before that I was staying the night with Bob Champion down near Hungerford and uh, he, he was in the bath in the morning and John Hain rang up and said is, is Bob going to Toaster so, on, on that day and I shouted up the stairs and he said he wasn't so I said no he isn't and he said was I and I said yeah he said well you ride my three there as well as you, whatever you else got and that's what happened and that was one of them Bob still takes the pee out of uh, the fact that that horse buried me because he's, he won on it, you see, but yeah. that horse obviously went well for an amateur. Yeah. <laughs> but all joking aside, I mean, you could have died. You were unconscious for three oh, days. Yes, yes. That, yeah, my wife number one told me that about me, about me being unconscious because, for, I mean, I, I know of things that happened that year because I've been told, but I honestly cannot remember a thing about the rest of that 1979 and early 1980. I can't remember, it's just, just a blank. Because these days, I think the medical care is a lot better. Um, well, it would be, wouldn't it? It's what, 40, 45 years ago, 40-odd years ago. But, um, yeah, um, I, I, the Indian Jockeys Fund were fantastic, supportive, um, you know, they, they're terrific. I got through it. I got through it, and then, but I, I then I moved to Australia because it, it was niggling me watching horses that I used to ride, particularly the good horses, run with somebody else on. Um, but the, yeah, the <coughs> I suppose the worst moment, probably worst moment of my life, was when the 
jockey club doctor assessed me before uh, the next following season. I already had real rides booked for that Saturday, and he told me that it was all over. Yeah, so you were, I mean, when you were recovering, you were in a wheelchair for a while. Yeah. And you, and you hoped to come back, so it didn't, you know, you weren't, you weren't put off. You did lots of falls before. Um, how hard to, was it to deal with, quite hard by the sound of it, if you went to Australia, the, the realisation that you, couldn't, you wouldn't be ever riding competitively again? Oh, it was devastating. I, I couldn't believe it. it and, I, and that's why I went to Australia, because um, I was offered a good job out there um, through contact of Mrs. Thompson Jones the first, um, and then which I'm you know, eternally grateful for. It was on a spelling station, and eventually they offered, offered me, I went there just, just as an ordinary lad, and eventually they offered me the chance to train out there. I trained for two and a half years. Um, but, you know, they're they decent horses. I treated them. I did quite well with the fillies um, because the I thought they were a bit too hard on the fillies. So I just eased it off a bit. And but out where I trained, out Cootamundra, it was out in the country. And we only raced three times a fortnight in that area. Um, of course, they raced in Sydney every day, but... Uh, I did have a double in Ramwick one day in Sydney. Uh, I can't remember what year that was, 83 possibly. And, uh, but I say we only raced three times a fortnight out in the country. And I had five winners in a day twice. Um, you know, we had nice horses and, well, nice horses for the country style. Yeah, so, but, but just going back to your, um, to your riding career for a bit. Yeah, sure. You were known as Iron Man Watty, the hard man of the weighing room. I mean, were you an exception to the rule? Were you ex especially tough, or was that just the way jockeys had to be in those days? Uh, just, uh, I don't think I don't think he would have survived if you weren't. I mean, I, I I was lucky. I had a high thresh threshold of pain. Um, I could put up with quite a lot, but I don't think I was particularly particularly tough. Uh, there, were, there were there were people tougher than me, and there were people that thought they were tough. I tell you, one day I I I was. Because after I got back to Newmarket, I made a living out of sorting out horses that um, needed some individual attention, shall we say. They needed some manners put into them and something like that. And I had this horse, I broke this horse here for Willie Musson. Anyway, um, and it was, it was a bit funny, so I used to go to his yard every day and ride it out, just, just the one horse. And there was a, a lad there, a nice lad. Um, he, he, he was the right size for a hurdle jockey. And he said he'd like to have a go. So I had a horse at the time, an X-race horse, that jumped really well. And so I said to him, you could have a go on that. And uh, I took him up the links and uh, he, he gave it a spin over half a dozen little French hurdles and never mentioned it again. Because what, one of the hurdles, the horse was a bit of a long way off. But, and he, he, he lifted very early, you know, took off a long way back. But I knew he was safe. Well, I wouldn't have put him on it. And uh, but it's a pity that lad didn't go into it because he was the right size and shape. And was this this was after you you'd had your accident? Oh yeah, so this, you've, you've been back on horses. Oh Christ! Yes, yeah, so it didn't didn't put you off at all. Not at all. No, I, I still used to ride schooling for people. In fact, I, uh, I rode my last bit of schooling when I was fifty four, and I ended up on the floor. Um, the trainer said to me that he said I think this could make a three year old hurdle. Will you give it a spin? So I did, and it was a right, and I had a lead horse with me, and uh, anyway, it was really awkward. I was I was knocking him about and to get him to jump him. Anyway, the lad on the lead horse suddenly said, 
He said, I thought he'd be like that. I said, what do you mean you, you thought he'd be like that? Has this, has this been tried before? Oh, yeah, he said. We were up here a few days ago, he said, but the boss told me not to tell you because you might be less positive. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm assuming that you were told that you couldn't ever ride again as a jockey oh, yeah. because if you fell, you would potentially I'd kill yourself. Kill, either kill myself so, or even worse, be left in a, in a wheelchair for yeah, the rest so of that, my life. You, just the worry of that hasn't, didn't ever put you off. No, no, no. A... No, no, no. I still in this horse. And anyway, um, and then as I picked myself up off the floor with that horse, I thought, if I, if I had got hurt, which I hadn't, I was bruised, got cut or whatever, and uh, I thought people think I'm an idiot, so that's it. Yeah, so and I gave it up there and then. Well, before your, before the, the fall that ended your career, yeah. you broke, in, this is just including what you broke, a nose, collarbone, arm, wrist, leg, pelvis, sternum and vertebrae. Was there ever a point after any of that where you thought, oh, bugger this? No, never, no, no. I broke my nose four times. Um, over the years, and uh, yeah, I did have several breaks of collarbone. No, I, I never, no, I, I was just stubborn, perhaps. People, yeah, I have been described as stubborn. Um, no, it's just other people do the same. I mean, Paddy Broderick, Chris Stobbs, um, Barry Brogan, people like they just ignored pain. They just, I mean, where, where are you, were you like the the school sort of hard case, and did racing just turn you into into a tougher person? Yeah, I I did want to. Yes, I just uh, adored jumping, uh, racing, and uh, the only time I ever ever deliberately missed a ride was one day at Worcester. Uh, there'd been a lot of racing off; it'd been really wet ground, and by some miracle, Worcester had been on, and there was nine or ten races. And I had several rides in the first few races, and then I had a three or four hour race break, and I had one ride in the last. And I did actually tell that chap that I couldn't ride that, that hurt horse, and it was a bit of a lie. And the horse had not a hope in hell anyway, and he, he'd, only, he'd only used me because I was the only one available. So um, I, I missed out that one. And the re there are two reasons one was the horrendous drive home through the traffic. And the other one was I wanted to make sure that I got home in time to see the Benny Hill show. <laughs> and we were talking before we did this, and you told me a story about when you broke a knuckle. Tell us that. Oh, that was... oh yes, yes. <coughs> I was at, I was working for Ken Oliver at the time, so it would have been 1968. <coughs> um, a chap who trained near Ken Oliver, he uh, he got me to ride, ride these two horses. Well, before I uh, I rode one for him, and before I rode the second horse, which was a novice chaser, I had a fall. And they'd taken a passing horse had clouted my hand and taken the top of my knuckle, and looking down on it, it looked like the inside of a boiled egg. You know, it was quite well. It was pretty painful and it was bleeding quite a bit. And I, I called, got hold of a trainer. And I said, Look, I don't think I can ride that horse in the next race. And he said, Well, what, what have we done? And I said, Look, so I showed him the finger. And he said, He said, That's not a scratch. He said, Get weighed out. And did, and did you get on in the race? Oh yeah, I rode, I rode the horse. Yeah, yeah, it was it was painful, but you know, that's it. It's one of those things. You just 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 you just, just got it done. Yeah. And, and I've read that you were the sort of jockey that would break a collarbone and still go out and ride it. That sort of thing. How, <coughs> how often would that sort of thing happen? Was there no sort of being passed by the doctor or anything? Well, that yeah, that did that. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do that now. I remember one day at Southall, <coughs> um, I'd. 
two, two, uh, three or four rides in, two or three were early uh, for one particular bloke. Anyway, one was, I was riding one, it was, I knew it was a safe jumper, but it was a friend of mine, named I rode it, and he fell, broke my collarbone. I didn't want to miss the next three because I thought they'd all win. And I broke my collarbone. And um, I came in, and Dr. Anderson, it was, uh, I saw you get that fall. He said, You look like you hurt yourself. I said, No, nope, it's fine, doctor. No problem at all. Because I'd done this collarbone. Anyway, uh, uh, so I always had stuff in my bag. So Jeff Pierce stretched out me, put a figure eight bandage on me, really tight. And I rode the other three, and they all got beaten. All of them. You know. Do you think they'd have got beaten if you hadn't broken your collarbone? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I, I hope. I hope they would have got beaten anyway, but perhaps I was wrong to do that. But I really thought I could, I was all right. But the journey home was just awful. It was pretty painful. And how long would it take for someone like that to heal? Would you be able to ride, carry on riding with a broken collarbone? Oh yeah, well, well, yes. The first, I think, the first twenty-four, forty-eight hours are very important. You have to stay still to get it started to knit. Um, I remember in seventy-six. I was looking forward to riding a horse for Tom Jones in the Oxo Grand National. And I broke my collarbone a few days before. And he said to me, uh, I rang him up and told him, but I said, but I'll be all right for Saturday. He said, are you sure? He said, I want you to, he said, you can't have that horse past me on Friday and we'll have a look. Now, if there was one horse in this whole world that you could ride with one hand, it was Jolly's Clump. He was a gentleman of a horse. In fact, uh, there he is, there. And uh, a wonderful horse, and uh, he said, "Well, he said, uh, I'll, I'll watch you canter him on Friday," and he did, and it was fine. It was fine because the head lad Fred he lifted me into the saddle. The horse didn't pull. It was great. So uh, Neil Doughty drove me to the races because I was in quite a bit of pain. But we we called in at Berry Hospital on the way, and the, a friend of mine, a surgeon, he injected some painkilling injections into the right into the brake, then strapped me up really firmly. Neil drove me to the races and uh, I and I, I rode the I rode the horse and um, and won and it was great it was great it's it just one of those things uh, I was lucky to get away with it but there you are right, Ian, for going back to the uh, to the very beginning you were born Newmarket yep so for somebody that became a jump jockey that wasn't uh it was the ideal place, but you, but you didn't have any racing background. So what were, what were your parents doing in Newmarket? Uh, no, uh, my mother was just a housewife. My, my father was in the, had been in the navy for many years during the war, and and when he came in, he came out. He went into the post office. I think it was because in those days uh, I passed my eleven plus and joined the grammar school. The grammar school was very near some stables, but I, I had had an inkling of it because my. My late uncle, um, his, he had a business up north, and his daughter had a pony, and I'd ridden the pony a few times. But I wasn't, I wasn't at all proficient in it. Anyway, when I was ten or eleven, I, oh, I know what it was. It was the fashion in those days for kids my age to get a Saturday job, and I went round the stables and asked for a Saturday job, and I got one. Mucking out pigs. A chap called John Pony. Marvellous bloke. He and between him and the trainer who was in his yard at the time, which was near my school, um, they taught me to ride. Two brilliant people. 
And when you were at grammar school, I think it was grammar school, you, yes, were, you were pals with Bill O'Gorman, who was the sprint king when I was first getting into, uh, into oh. horse racing. Yeah, yeah. Bill and I were in the same class at school. We, we got on well and we, we, we shared pony rides and uh, did a lot of uh, other things together. It was just good. But uh, nobody has a, pays attention to detail like he does. Nobody. And you, you um, mentioned your uncle Joe, that was uh, yeah. that sort of was a bit pivotal in your in your interest in horse racing in the early days. Yeah, so he he got a couple of, a pony for his daughter, and, uh, and we we'd stayed up there when I was just a kid, and I, I seem to have got the um, not knack, but I, I got the interest of riding horses then. But I still didn't. I I, my, my, I, I thought then my future lied in, lay in the Navy, like my father. That was the plan, to go in the Navy. And that all changed. Well, I, I learned to ride, and I still ride again. I started ride schooling for Pat Moore and John Powney. And um, the turning point, I suppose, was when I was 16, just turned 16, because Bill and I used to, used to go to point to points together. And this um, chap, Morris Bailey, who, who apparently... Uh, uh, Mark Prescott started with him as well. Um, he had this runner in this point to point, and she reared over in the paddock and broke the chap. The Philip Paxman was riding him, broke his leg, and as as he was leading the horse away, I, I went. I ran up behind him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, um, "What are you going to do with it now, Mister Bailey?" And he he didn't know what to do. He said, "I wanted to run the next week at Morton, but the jockey's got a broken leg." And I said, "Well, if you can organise the paperwork, I'll ride it." That was it. But I still, I was still going to go into the Navy as a Royal Engineer, in, in the Royal Navy as an engineer. But anyway, I rode this horse, and by the time I got to the fourth fence... That was what you wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I did, it said in your book, well, I was quite surprised, you said you were at the Grand National, and you buy a fence where a jockey suffered an horrific <coughs> fall, and he broke his back and ended up being paralysed for life. And, but that was when you were sort of inspired that you wanted to be a jockey. I mean, that would have put most people off, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, it was, I was at the chair and I was 15. And then that was, be, um, before I'd gone up north to see... Well, the thing is, the excitement and the whole razzmatazz of the whole thing, but it was a big, quite a big field that day and they all streamed over the chair and, then, and Paddy Farrell got this terrible fall. And, and I just came away from, from there saying, you know, that really is what I want to do. And then riding in the point to point the, the following winter uh, sealed it, sealed it. I just, the excitement, the, the risk, the danger, that was, that was it. It was, was point to point quite important to add to your education before you went to be a full-time jockey? I had four, three... Uh, I think I had three rides of point to point. Yes, I, I rode Mr. Bailey's horse in that first race at Moulton, and that was when I decided after so I'd only gone a few fences, and I thought well, this is what I must do for the rest of my life. And then I rode it a couple more times, and but I applied for jobs, different trainers, and I went up north and joined Tommy Robinson. That was the turning point. You rode your first winner under rules in 1966. Yes, and and he, he, he worked for nine quid a week. Up until then, yeah. Well, I was interested because the um, in your book, I mean, in the nineteen sixty eight sixty nine season, you had nine winners yeah. from one hundred and nineteen rides, 
and in 1670 had eight winners from 127 rides. I mean, con compared to modern day, I mean, what would you get paid a ride? I mean, was that enough? Tenor a ride. Tenor a ride. So yeah. was that enough to keep you living in comfortable? Oh, yes. I mean, that, the riding fees were only the icing on the cake. I was, I was working full time. I mean, I, I was working full time in, 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 in the stables up there, Tommy Robson's. Um, and he, it, was, it, was, it was through him that not only did he give me chances, but he, he kept me on the straight and narrow. And I was, it made me chuckle when you said you gave up to be a hippie for six months. Was that all the, the summer of love to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, I'm trying to, that would have been around 1970, I think. I think I just thought, oh, for Christ's sake, you know, I had a few quid. Not a lot of money, but I had a few quid and I had lodgings. My lodgings were four pound, the equivalent of four pounds, 50 pence a week. And she's a lovely old lady, um, but that's all she wanted. Um, and I used to, I didn't drink a lot, but, well, I did drink a lot, but not heavily into spirits or anything like that. But we, we enjoyed ourselves with myself and a pal of mine. Um, we used to rise at the crack of noon every day <laughs> and head into Penrith for a liquid lunch. And, then just, and in the summer, we'd go down to the lakes, Windermere, and here, that was a favourite. And, and then there's another lake, Coniston Water. There was a lot of uh, entertainment down there. With a lot of people went there for the holidays, obviously, at that time. And we just joined in with them. So what what tempted you back to the saddle? Was it get a bit fed up with the caftans and all that? E lack of money, lack of money. I ran out of money. All I owned in the world, I didn't. I was in lodgings, and all I owned in the world was my car, an MGV GT. Um, I think just like, and, I, and it was in the autumn, and the, the the entertainment was dropping off a bit with the holidaymakers. And I answered an advert and went to work for a chap called Peter Ransom in Lemster, near Lemster in uh, Shropshire. Is that? Anyway, went down there and very hard taskmaster, great bloke, great bloke. And he, he got me going again, and I rode a winner for him. I got my weight down, because uh, I've always had trouble with weight. And I got my weight down and rode a winner for him, and he, he reignited my idea. And then when, uh, I forget why I left him, I think maybe he, I'm not sure, anyway. I came back to Newmarket, went to met Bill O'Gorman. Bill's father had recently died, Bill was taking over the reins, and he said, come and give me a hand. And between us, we, we had a few winners jumping. Um, Bill, Bill rode, rode one or two winners himself, and he was a very good pilot. Should have been a flat jockey, but just a little bit on the big side. So people reading your book, sort of, you know, there's the, everybody would say it'd be the, the golden age of swashbuckling jockeys, where you worked hard and you played harder. I mean, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think, I think it was. I think it was. Because I remember once I being an heir, and there were there were some senior jockeys up there: Jerry Scott, John Leach, Jack Berry, uh, Johnny uh, Swanee Haldane, Johnny Lehane, people like that. And somebody was offered some rides, or a ride, next day at Newcastle, and he turned it down because he said, "I won't get there in time." Air to Newcastle, even I mean, just because they, they would be going out that night, and by the time they'd finished celebrating or. or socialising and I couldn't believe that and but that, that was the case in those days but nowadays I, I remember one day riding Newton Abbott and the day before I, I rode my first winner on Night Nurse at Weatherby 
and a novice chase. And Newton Abbott to Weatherby. And that's before motor race? Uh, no, there were no motor race. And the A1, I can't remember what came up for them, but I was lucky I had a chauffeur from Newmarket that, that morning, Jeff Pierce. Now, one of the characters you mentioned in the book is somebody I'm quite fascinated by, Barry Brogan. Yeah. Is he as is, uh, <coughs> colourful as they... Um... Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, he's a great bloke. He is. He, 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 you talk about parting hard, he, he was the bloke. But what a brilliant jockey. Strong as an ox. Strong as an ox. And I remember one day he came to ride schooling at Oliver's. We schooled on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think, and worked them. And he'd, he'd been out all night before. He'd been out all night. He got changed into some riding clothes in the yard. And we went down road schooling and he rode several horses schooling. You wouldn't know he'd had a drink. It, you know, terrific bloke. Hard as nails. Hard as nails. I still see him a couple of, two or, two or three times a year when he's in Ireland. He's, 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 he's in Malaysia now. But, and we walked down memory lane. His memory is so sharp. It really is. Because he, he broke his back. He broke his back in Malaysia 20-something years ago. Right, I'll hopefully get hold of him at some point. Um, now, was, was there ever any sort of problem, problems with, like, officialdom or trainers when you jockeys sort of were sort of riding a bit sort of hungover or um, half-cut or whatever? You know, was, was there ever a... Or was it just accepted that's the way things were? Yeah, I never, I never noticed anybody having drink, drinking at all. That might be a modern thing, I don't know. Apparently the Lambourne jockeys used to stop for a drink on the way to the races. I never did, because I, I had such serious weight problems. And also I was working for Tom Robson. And, and when, I was working, when you're working for somebody like him, you know, you work right until the minute you leave. Um, and when I, came down to, when I came down to Newmarket, I, I, I was never in, in the company of people who stopped for a drink. On, there wasn't many of us riding here uh, around Newmarket. And Steve started in 73, Jeff Barrow uh, was with me, he lived with me for a while. Uh, but I, I suppose I was the main jockey in Newmarket then. But, but drinkers never really interested me, um, socially wine, but that's all. Was there, were there any jockeys that were, like they would have to be now, where they were totally, you know, sort of abstain from everything and go out running and all that sort of thing? Were there, were there any that were like that, clean living? Um, Graham Thorner was very clean, clean living bloke, I think. But see, I, I, being in Newmarket, I didn't actually socialise much with people away from uh, this area. Um, no, I, I, I can't, I can't recall anybody like that. No. Now you were, um, you say, quite a big lad to be a jockey, um, and you had some weight problems. So you had to go to some desperate, sort of <coughs> some desperate measures to make sure you could do the right weight. Oh, yeah. It's a weight problem, yes. <coughs> uh, my good lady, my housekeeper, well, she's been promoted now, my wife, um, uh, she said I ought to write a book on, on diets because it's one thing, I don't say they're healthy diets, but I do know a lot about weight loss. And, um, and this and this, this would amuses me. They say, oh, a six-day diet. That's rubbish, absolute rubbish. If you want to lose weight, you, you diet seven days, even eight days a week. You know, it's, if you you either lose want to lose weight or you don't. I think it's it's, it's ridiculous. But luckily, in the early seventies, um, I was my girlfriend was a lovely young girl, and she she knew she, she knew a doctor in Warwickshire who who would supply me with a certain type of 
pill that would um, stave off the hunger pains. And I lived on those for several years. And they were good. They used to keep me awake and uh, to give you the energy that you didn't get through food. Um, and I tried to take one every day. Apart from, I didn't ever take one Sunday unless I had a light ride on Monday. Um, uh, um, yes, and, and I obviously never took them when, when I was on holiday or when I was injured. And you used to sweat in, sweat in cars? Yeah, so that was regular, regular. Uh, go, go for a run with a sweatsuit on. Or when, when I was at Thompson Jones, I used to ride out first lot before, uh, before I went racing. I think I didn't go racing every day, but I used to ride out a lot with a sweatsuit on under my clothes. And there was one horse, I, if I was losing weight for a ride, light ride coming up, I used to ask Fred if I could ride Foreman, because this big, strong horse never used to leave you alone. And in, with a lot, sweatsuit and a lot of clothes on, you know, you'd really sweat. Um, yeah, it, it was uncomfortable, but... but um, Mind you, I wasn't the only person. Ray Cochran, the flat jockey, he used to call in at the, at the links every morning. I, I, I used to see him sometimes. And he'd run round, run round the, the, the jump track, uh, the jump canter, and then jump in his car off to the races with his with his sweatsuit on, and then obviously change when he got there. You know, that was dedication. Ray Ray used to ride jumping, but he he used to ride at eight, ten, eight, nine on the flat. Um, it's fair to say that you were very popular with the ladies. I was lucky that one or two of the most beautiful girls that I met uh, were willing to scrape the bottom of the barrel and, and uh, be, go out with me. Without wanting to ruin the book, there was one particular story where a DJ ruined one particular relationship. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I was, at the time I was going out with this beautiful girl in air um, and uh, we, we, were, we were sitting down by the harbour two o'clock in the morning listening to Radio Luxembourg as you did in those days and uh, I was very fond of her um, and uh, yes we were just chatting away and, and it came over the radio it, it was request time and we have we have a request here from uh, for a jump jockey riding in the north of England and um, I had actually spent several weeks of the summer in Newmarket, away from her. So she turned the radio up and said, oh, he says, you might know this book. Anyway, then the, the uh, DJ said, oh, it was a request for me. And it was uh, Kathleen, Kathleen, it was Kathleen saying, thank you for the lovely few weeks in Newmarket. And of course, there was a mild night and the windows were down and I had actually given this girl a ring. And there was a little splash. The ring had laid and landed in the sea. <laughs> he also did a stint as a male model. Did you get to? Uh, did you get to oh, keep yes. the four hundred pound jacket? Bearing in mind this was the seventies. Yes. Do you, do you want to see it? You still got the jacket. I still got the jacket. I, but I could only wear it half a dozen, maybe eight times a year because it is so warm. It's fabulous. Do you want to see? We better not get it no, now. No, but no, we'll... okay. Yeah. <laughs> I still got it. It's, it was a wonderful jacket. And that was in nineteen seventy. Six or seven. Yeah, that was a nice few quid then, wasn't it? Bloody, it was a lot of money. It's a fabulous jacket. Apparently, it took six sheep to make it. Now, I, 
it, a lot of like, you don't want to spoil the book for people because it's a well worth reading. But I'll bring up a few stories from it. The, the book is only really available from the National, uh, the Newmarket Horse Racing Museum now. Okay, yeah. so people can still get, can still get it. Oh yes, yes. Um, now I must admit I nearly dropped the book at the end of the Earl Jones chapter. <laughs> now you can tell us a bit about Earl Jones because. What put well, you know, tell us a bit about that and that what happened to him because I, I can, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, what a wonderful character he was! I'm so sorry that I, it was uh, I was quite late on, on in my career that I first met him. But <coughs> what a tough bloke he was! Yeah, um, I was riding this this horse called Neiman, and um, he, he he was I was instructed to give him easy races, you see, because the owners were a uh, Birmingham mafia, they called them. Um, gangsters in, in Birmingham and uh, anyway we wandered this day at Warwick it was a two mile five knobs hurdle and I knew the ground would pursue him and it was a cold day so I'd put an extra pullover on under my colours and gone out there and he looked at me a bit serious and he said you're going to have to do your best today mate I said it's too far for him and he won't like this ground he said I've told him he said I've told them he said but they want to back him so do your best so I did my best finished fifth sixth one thing and there was a and there, apart from the failure of that horse to win that day, there was a, some sort of political thing going on to do with the price of the horse, apparently. Anyway, that uh, later that week, I got a phone call, and the, it was the police from Warwickshire. They said, you know, don't answer the door to anybody next day or two without knowing who it is. And then, because Earl had been kneecapped that night, that afternoon, he'd pulled up um, where he parked his car and somebody had been hiding in the bushes and blew his kneecap away with a 12 ball. Bloody hell. So that, what, what happened to him after that? He, he, he was never the same. I, um, I went to see him in the hospital and I met him once afterwards and he retired to Ireland. He went off to Waterford and retired and he died some years ago in his 80s. Wonderful bloke. Tough as old boots. He... The first road, road, first time I first ride I had for him, girl, the, the, he was he was known as Killer Jones because his horses used to take a fierce, fierce hold, and they didn't fall, they didn't, they didn't fall much. They knew how to jump, but anyway, he had this this reputation in the wang room, so uh, I had his first ride for him. It was a four year old, in a in a chase at Worcester. Dave Cartwright came up to him. He said, "Have you ridden this before?" I said, "No, it's my first ride for this bloke." He said, "I've ridden this." He said, "He wasn't very good over hurdles." He said, "I'm, I'm surprised he's running him in a chase." So anyway, there's several runners. There are a lot of runners, 14, 15, 16 runners in a two-mile novice chase. So I was, I was quietly out of the out of the starting gate. Went round, finished fourth. He jumped all right, but he, he was quite small. But I, I was fairly cautious. I mean, he told me to give him a good run round. And uh, anyway, as I slid, slid off and landed on the ground, he leaned over and in my ear, he was, gave me, made a pointed remark. He said, uh, if you ride this again, he said, you'll give it a ride, will you? And I started, tried to give him some bullshit about missing the start. And that, but pff, he'd been a jockey, he knew. And then a few weeks later, I, asked, uh, I got the call to ride him again. But this was over a further, longer trip at Stratford. And and he said, right, I've got in the paddock, and he said, uh, no, this, no mistakes this time. And he uh, he said, do this and do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when that, and he felt like a different horse. He felt a bit, um, 
bit more on the ball. Anyway, uh, I was always in the first two or three, and uh, and he won. He won. He won. And going out, I noticed the horse was tw twenty to one on the boards, but he was only four or five to one when he came in. Oh, it was a terrific bloke, great bloke, and and he had a he stable jockey. He, um, his name escapes me now, but he was fantastic bloke. He was, you know. Uh, I just wish I'd met Earl when I was younger. Now, we mentioned these horses um, at the start. So the, the three big ones, that, the, the names yeah. that people still know today, Tingle Creek, Mad <coughs> Nurse and Sea Pigeon. Can yeah. you tell us a bit about each of those? Uh, Tingle Creek, he, he, he was... I, I, when I was at Tom Jones's, I rode him virtually every day. Every day uh, that I could ride out. If I didn't ride him in those days, Fred the head lad would ride him. He was a good horseman, uh, but it wasn't very often I didn't ride him every day. Tinkle, he very hard puller and jig jog, he'd drive you mad. But fantastic horse, um, yeah, he, he was a great horse. And uh, I remember traveling to races with Tom Jones, which was quite rare. The first time I rode him, when we were, when we were late getting there, and it was all in a bit of a rush. And he said, uh, I don't need, he said, You've seen this horse run. He said, because Tommy Stack had been riding him, and then the great David Mould. I was so honoured to be following David Mould onto this horse. And just I didn't win that day. Easeby Abbey won that day. The, the tacky ground stopped Seagull Creek, but wonderful horse. And I say I rode him just about every day at exercise. Wonderful horse. Um, be nice if he if he stayed a bit further, but he, he didn't. And, uh, and then I thought it might have been due to him that I got the call to ride. My first ride for Easter, Mr. Easter, Easter, he was a, a horse in the King George called Canadis, lovely horse, bad legs. And then, then I got a call to ride Sea Pigeon. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And that was at Haydock in a big field. Um, and going out, a couple of people had told me how to ride him, you know, take, take your time and be there at the last. And that. And, but going out, uh, I was talking to David Golding, who knew the horse well because he'd been at Gordon Richards when the horse was there, and he rode him in, a, in the Fighting Fifth the year before. And David said, he said, no, 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 he said, don't be hitting the front of the last. He said, halfway up the running is fine. Can you believe that? 19 runners. Anyway, turning for home, he made one mistake going down the back, and I was riding him quietly, like David said, and turning for home, I was last or second last of 19 runners. And I was still seventh, jumping the last, and there's a picture of him over there. And I was seventh jumping the last, and I won three or four lengths with 12 stone two on his back. Yeah. What a horse. And I rode him twice more, and he was just unbelievable. Unbelievable horse. And then um, Night Nurse, oh, Night Nurse was an icon. I mean, I'd watched him run with Paddy on him, Paddy Roderick. And, and then Paddy got hurt, and I rode him. I rode him in a couple of hurdles. I rode him in a Scottish champion hurdle first time. And, uh, oh, sorry. Um, uh, um, and Peter Eastby said that I had gone, hadn't gone fast enough early on. Um, well, it's the first time I'd ridden him. I, I thought I was going like the wind, but but I finished second to Sea Pigeon. That was the race in which Golden Signet fell at the last. He looked like he would have beaten both of us, uh, but he broke his neck uh, at the last. And then, then I rode Night Nurse in the... That big sponsors hurdle race at Haydock. He had a lot of weight, and I, th I finished third 
to a very lightly weighted horse of Fred Rimmel's. You, you know, he was very fortunate to get in with that weight. And then the Nightless went chasing the next season. And John Joe rode him first time. Something happened. They didn't. They didn't complete the course. Um, I don't know. I wasn't there. And I think it was the Market Raisin, which seems a funny course to start him off at. But that's where he started off over hurdles. And I went up to Weatherby. I, I, I went up to Moulton to ride in schooling a few days before the Weatherby race, and I, I couldn't sleep all that night. Yeah, it's it's just great to go up to ride that horse and and. Uh, um, but unfortunately, the Weatherby race was the day after I beat the Newton Abbott, but luckily I had a chauffeur with Jeff Pierce, and uh, went up there and he won. Fabulous horse. And I won five five chases on him. And unfortunately got beat in that one. Uh, a picture of it is there by a much fitter horse, Silver Buck, who had run the week before apparently, but Nightmares hadn't run for 11 weeks. So I was asking a big question of him, but that was the last time I rode him. But then three... Four days later, my career ended. Um, Ian, there's a lot of ladies featured in your book, and I was quite surprised to get to the chapter where your old flames were happy to sort of write a little passage about you. Um, did you only publish the good ones? If anybody had a bad one, a bad opinion about me, they don't talk to me. <laughs> so... Uh, I was lucky. I had some lovely. I was. I've been married three times. Uh, all beautiful girls, inside and out. And uh, uh, I was lucky. I was lucky that some girls took pity on me. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was just lucky. Yeah, I mean, a few, few, few girlfriends, but I was just, just lucky. Now, you, you mentioned earlier in part one about Australia. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because you went over there to get away from seeing what you could have been riding but wasn't able to. So you I had a successful time over there. Yeah, I couldn't settle, Simon. That's the trouble. I, I, I found it hard to settle because horses were running that I used to ride. And although I wasn't compass up here, I knew, I knew they were running. And apparently, Steve will tell you that. I used to ring him up in the middle of the night. Um, before Steve's Steve, Steve from Eccles, yeah, and, and, and chat to him as though it was the middle of the day and talking about things that happened a long while before, as though they'd only happened the day before. Uh, he'll tell you that, and, he, he's, uh, and he, he, he kindly put up with all that shit off me. And um, yeah, it's, I, I, was, I was struggling to settle, and I can't remember who, but somebody had said that I ought to go away somewhere, and then. Mrs. Thompson Jones, the first, she got in touch with me. I can't remember how, but she got in touch with me. She, she knew somebody who had a spelling station out in Australia. And she or they thought it would be a good idea if I went out there to work, just, just riding horses. So I did it. Was, uh, and I, I, worked my, I worked my passage out there. I, I took some horses for, um, I can't remember the name of the firm now. I had to travel horses to, to and on the, on the flight out there, we had... 38 or something horses, a load of zoo animals, a load of dogs, loads of dogs, and, and a big bull called William. <laughs> Sticks it in my mind like it was yesterday. <laughs> and it was a fascinating flight. But we, because of the rules, 
regarding infection in those in those days. We we couldn't go the short way to Australia, straight across Saudi Arabia that way. We had to go. We went to Shannon first in Ireland, and picked up something something else there. Then we went to Newfoundland, Canada, and then uh, Newfoundland. I can't remember. And Newfoundland, then Calgary in Canada, then Hawaii and Fiji, and on to Sydney. Forty hours. What's the, what are the conditions like in a plane full of animals? Good, good. Yeah, it was good. Um, they're not as comfortable. It wasn't as comfortable then because bear in mind that was nineteen eighty, as they are now. They apparently now they have seats and things like that. We, we were sitting on hay nets. There was a there was a bunch of professional grooms there, and there was a few of us having, including a girl, um, just getting a lift over there. The professional grooms they knew what to do. They they got drunk, sobered up, got drunk, and then sobered up again by the time we got to Australia. And when you got there, you uh, you ended up training training horses. Yeah, not straight away. I, I was just working. Um, it was a nine-hour train journey from 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 Sydney out to where I was going, and I was met at two o'clock in the morning by one of the lads. And yeah, I was, I was just an ordinary lad there, and um, one or two of the horses were, just needed a bit of individual attention. And I had the experience to do it. And anyway, then it started to get a bit hot towards middle, end of November. You know, and I was struggling a bit with the heat. And in early December, I think it was early December, I, I said, I'll, I'll, I think I'll go home for the winter. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind coming back. And before I left, the boss of the place, who's dead now, um, he said, well, if you come back, he said, you can train these horses. Um, and I... Which I, I thought about it, and uh, but to be quite honest, when I got back, it was it was obviously cold, but uh, I did miss the heat a bit. But the heat was Sundays are forty degrees. But anyway, I went, I went back in in March, April time, trained my first winner because the seasons run August to August there. Um, I had the first winner at a place called Naranda, and. Um, Maybe May, something like that. And then, then I had I had two one season. I was third in the championship with seventy eight winners. Bearing in mind we only raced three times a fortnight, but I had a couple of good horses: Simple Dreams, Rolled Gold, uh, one in Sydney, and one or two others. Uh, I, I loved the Sydney racing. Yeah, so professional. So, what what did you come back in ultimately? <coughs> My. Uh, my first marriage was falling apart, and um, uh, things. Yeah, the, the 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 place the place that I was training from was 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 going downhill, and uh, there, there were there was plenty of people snapping at my heels to take over, and then I went. I spent I spent a few months in Adelaide. Um, just to get away from from that. Oh, and I tell I tell you what I don't remember now. I did have several months working at the Lindsay Park Stud, the famous Colin Hayes place. That was fantastic. What what an education that was. But too late in my career for that. But that was a really wonderful place. Uh, Colin Hayes trained there. Then his son took over, um, and I think the place has fallen apart now. These holiday homes there. I don't know whether they still train there or not. But it was a fabulous place. Anyway, so what did you do when you came back? Um, well, I was, I was walking down the high street one day um, and I bumped into a, a chap, I can't remember how I'd known him before, but Mr Hugh Sidebottom, he was a, a trainer from the 
from the 30s, 1930s. Um, lovely old man. And he, he said, what are you going to do now? I said, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, ask around. He said, get some horses to break. He said, you come and use my stables. He had a, he's got a place out at, uh, he had a place out at Fordham. And that's what I did. And Mick Ryan kindly sent, sent me some horses to break to start with. And then I, word got around and, and I, I specialised in horses that just needed a little bit of individual attention. They needed some manners putting in them. And uh, if, they, if there was some sort of problem, I, I just tried to sort it out and worked well. Now, at the time of your fall... Yeah. You, were, you were flying high, you know, sort of the, riding good horses. And yeah, I, was, ever... I was just starting, I think I was on the downhill slide then because my, my weight was getting very difficult then. Okay, so do, do you ever dare sort of think about how you, how your career would have gone had you not suffered that fall? Do you... I have thought about it actually once or twice. Well, I would have ridden, well, I would have ridden a double one day at Cheltenham in 78, but I broke my pelvis the day before Cheltenham at Southern on a novice chaser uh, of Mrs. Sly's at Southall. Um, I would have ridden um, Alberton in the Arkle and Sea Pigeon in the Champion Hurdle. I would have won on both of them. Uh, Graham Thorner won on Alberton. Um, Frank Berry did, uh, rode Sea Pigeon and went too soon and he got beaten. But I, I would have won on him that day. Yeah, with that double under my belt, I suppose I might have continued riding a bit more, but the weight was... was it's getting really hard. I mean, in the summer, I'd go to well over 12 and a half stone, and then I, I did do 10 stone a few times, but 10-4 was my limit, really. And you, um, just going back to you, but you made some great mates along the way, two you seem to speak extremely fondly of, Steve Smith-Eccles and Bob Champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to stay with Bob when I was down that way. He'd stay with me when I was up this, up. he was up this way. Yes, we we still the three of us are still mates. We we did a show last autumn, I think, at the uh, or earlier this year at the uh, in aid of charity at the um, museum, National Horse Racing Museum. Um, we, everybody called us called it the Three Stooges, but there you go, <laughs> there you go. But it did for uh, retraining of racehorses. Yes, now they're they're good pals, and we still see each other a lot. Three musketeers out on the town still. Yeah. Well, yes, not now. We, we we need a week's notice now before we do anything like that. Uh, they seem so much. Obviously, then you get to reading the book. You can see how much fun you had during the thirteen years that you were your career in the saddle. Do you think that you would have enjoyed being a jockey these days when it's so much more restricted? I mean, you wouldn't get away with a lot of things that you got away with back then. Yeah. Um... I would have enjoyed riding today if I hadn't ridden in the 70s, 60s or 70s when I did. I mean, I remember one day at Newcastle, I assume it's still the same, if you've got the weighing room and then the ambulance room is on, is tacked on the back. Five of us weighed out for the same race on the same saddle because it was a very light one. And we'd, we'd pass it to, to, to our accomplice who would run through the ambulance room and pass it, to, no, the other way around. It would... We'd give it to an accomplice in the weighing room and then run round to the back and pass it back through the ambulance room so somebody else could use it. It was a very light saddle. I can't remember who owned it. I, either, I think it was Barry Brogan owned it, I think. Um, you know, he got away with that sort of thing. And There were other 
Yes, yes. If we, uh, yeah, if I hadn't ridden the sixties and seventies against real men, I mean, you know, real tough folks. Uh, what about the, you know, the, the sort of whip rules and stuff these days? What do you think about that? Because your in your days it would have been a proper whip, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, I, I might have been overzealous. I certainly know one of my pals was overzealous. Close pals was overzealous for the whip, and he realizes that now, <coughs> and I was. But horses' skins seem to be a bit, well, a lot tougher than ours. Um, um, I, I uh, yes, I do regret not being a bit more lenient with the whip. But I didn't. I didn't. I, I got. I got had him one day. Oh yes, one day after. after there's a four-mile chase at. Cheltenham called the is it the old year chase it used to be sponsored anyway by Bass. Um, if it's a four four mile four and a quarter mile chase, it's on New Year's Day at Cheltenham, and I I did get had in there after that race one day because I rode a horse called Prince Frost, and he was a lazy little bugger, and he I I gave him a, his first slap about the second or third fence, and then several through it, but apparently I'd hit him sixteen times through the race, which, which is a lot. But I hadn't actually punished him as such. But he was a lazy little bug, but I did win. The horse was running. And um, so anyway, the sort of postscript to that story is that in the race afterwards, there's a chap came in called, uh, I think it was Mr. Coblin, and he, he Sandy May had got hurt in the big race, and he was looking for a jockey to ride his horse the novice, the novice chase after the, the one after the big race, you see. Nick Henderson said to me, if he asks you, he says, ride it, he says, because it'll win. So Mr. Cobbler did ask me, and I rode it, and I was going really well, coming down that hill, probably going towards the third last, I can't remember which course we were on. Third, anyway, horse fell, and I got a bit of a kicking, and broke my leg. And then the steward decided to have me in about my overuse of the whip uh, in the big race. So I had to go, and I, I could barely walk. And I was standing in front of the steward, trying to make out there was no pain. I was not in pain at all, and I fell over. And they actually gave me a chair to sit in while they bollocked me. <laughs> and, and I can't remember whether I got fined or not, but I don't believe so. But that was the end of it. And that is the day I lost the ride on that good horse, Rombolus. Because uh, um, I was supposed to ride him later, the next day. And I, I went to the race just thinking. I spent the night with Vic Soane. Victor's house, thinking that I'd get through. I went to the yard to ride schooling in the morning, and got out. and I was I was in a lot of pain. I was full of drugs, and I I got legged up on the horse, but I couldn't stand up in the iron because because the leg was broken. You see the um, below the knee, and so I had to call off. Right, and I was supposed to ride Strombos later that day, and I Bob Bob Champion got the ride. And I tell I tell Bob that that. Uh, Peter Bailey thought he'd go well for an amateur. So, <laughs> and anyway, Bob ended up winning three on him when I was injured every time. So. Yeah. So, final question. Yeah. Um, anything that you would change? Any regrets in your career that you would have done differently if you had another go? Yes, I, I would, might have stayed up north. But if I'd stayed up north, I might not have got the ride on those good horses. That put me in the picture. Hard to say. Um, one or two of my relationships might have 
something different, but um, um, not, nothing major. Uh, oh, oh, diet. Yes, I, I know more about diet now than, than I did those in those days. But and uh, my rock bottom was eating a takeaway Chinese in Christmas Day in my car in the car park in Carlisle on Christmas Day. Brilliant. Rock bottom. Can I, can I get any lower than that? <laughs> oh dear, the going up was, uh, what was it? The, the, going up was The going working. up was worth the coming down. Was, uh, that sums it up. That yeah. sums it up. The good times were great, the bad times weren't, but the good times made up for it. Brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Ian Watkinson. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, and everybody watching this is going to want to see that jacket. So there it is. Yeah, it is. Beauty, yeah. isn't it? This this jacket is uh, uh, what nearly fifty years old. That was four hundred quid at the time. Forty four. rides worth that was. Yes, that's yeah, right. Talking yeah. of the rides, let's have a look at some of these pictures. Tingle Creek, my first winner for Tom Jones. They were extraordinary. Oh, this is one day I rode three winners at um, Huntington. Um, I had seven rides that day, three winners, two falls. Uh, that's Strombola to the novice chase at Cheltenham. The wonderful sea pigeon, a couple of falls. Uh, not, oh, there's a bit more falls there. That's well, there's the great Teagle Creek. That was taken at the pond fence. I mean, look at that, look at that horse there. Isn't he fantastic? I mean, pity about the hours are on him, but there you go. Um, that's the... I won that race with a broken collarbone. That's a good. That good trainer is finishing second, Brian Smart. And um, the, the girl, that girl there, she, she was my girlfriend. Eleven days later, she was killed. Oh, Night nurse, Tingle Creek. Look at that. Look at Tingle Creek there. What a fantastic shot that is. Excellent. Let's have another look at that jacket before we. Uh... I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this to my son and hopefully it will be passed on to my grandson. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Ian. You're welcome.